0: I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website. Most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Growth Show. I'm Megan, VP of Marketing at HubSpot and your host today. So the big question is, what does it take to be happy? Really satisfied, growing every day, enjoying your life to the fullest. It can almost feel like an obligation. It can almost feel like work sometimes to pull that off. Today, I'm joined by Neil Pasricha, who's an author of a new book called The Happiness Equation, And in this book, he tries to get to the bottom of that secret. How is it that people can truly become happy? Join me in listening to Neil's story. So let's start off with um, something very straightforward, which is what do you think people get wrong when they think about happiness?
0: Oh, well, you know, I think that, first of all, people think about happiness the wrong way. I mean, my parents are immigrants to Canada from India and Africa, and when I was growing up, they said, Neil, it's pretty simple. You do great work, then you have a big success, then you're happy. And so I was a kid and they were like, you know, you study really hard, then you get good grades and then you're happy. And I got my first job. They said, Neil, you, you work really hard, then you get promoted and then you're happy. And it's unfortunate that they told me that because it turns out that research that Sonia Lipomirsky and team did back in 2005 shows it's exactly the opposite. If you be happy first, then you do great work because you're happy you're doing it. Yeah. You have 31% higher productivity, 37% higher sales, and three times more creativity. And then you have a big success. We all know the happy person at, at work or in our personal life. And you know you kind of gravitate to those people. So um, what do people have wrong about happiness? We think happiness is a destination when actually it's a starting point and yeah. it actually enables all the positive outcomes in our lives if we choose to do it first.
1: You know what's so fascinating about that too is our entire structure, I feel like, is set up for that. I mean, Even in the workplace, you think about review cycles, right? So you work for a very long time, and then you have an annual review. And that annual review is supposed to be the pinnacle of your year's work, right? But you're not getting that feedback all the way through, by and large. Uh, You're waiting for that destination for that moment to decide, was I good or was I not? Uh, And, yeah, that does seem somewhat backwards. Uh, So is this really just like a mind shift? Or do you feel like we need to change some of the structural things that we do in workplaces and in education to... Um, to adapt for it,
0: I mean it's definitely both. So first off, you know I agree with you completely about performance issues. That's probably a whole other podcast talking about how those can get get fixed. But our whole design of the world is all about scanning for problems, finding them. And then hitting them over the head with a mallet, you know? So in a performance review, if you're doing well, you get a pat on the back, right? A 2% raise. If you're not, then you've got remedial classes. You've got an, you know, a performance improvement plan. You've got weekly check-ins with the boss. Like we put all our effort on fixing people that are below average. Yeah. And the same as – like say you get a blood test back at your, at your doctor's. It's like, yeah, your cholesterol's fine, your your blood sugar's low. Well, you start you start worrying about the one that's just out of line right. a little bit. Yeah, and everything's like that. And so, why is it like that? Well, it's because you know our the evolution of our of our brains, uh, you know, for. 299,000 of the 300,000 years we've been here, or actually even more than 209,000, we've always scanned the world for problems, right? We've we've tried to find the animal that might attack us or the shelter that we right. need to have or the, or the mate. And so I think there is some fundamental flaws. We don't see things in a positive light naturally. And the thing about being happy first, to the first question is, it's not a mind shift. It is taking ownership over the fact that our intentional activities, like things we actually do on any given day, Yeah control four times our happiness compared to our circumstances. Wow. So, like, regardless of who wins the presidency, <laughs> you know, here right. in the U.S. as I travel through here for, for my book tour, um, regardless of who wins, you have four times more control over your happiness than that outcome.
1: And, and so do you equate happiness and satisfaction in, in this scenario? I mean, is it – you could almost replace the word and say people are never satisfied. Um, Do you feel like those two things are different or do they go hand in hand?
0: You know, the beautiful thing and, and maybe the, the terrible thing about the word happiness is it has so many definitions, right? It, even in, you know, scientific studies, it's called subjective well-being, right? It's, it's subjective yeah. well-being. How, how, well, uh, how are you on a scale of 1 to 10, right? It's not like you, we can check your chemical balance in your, in your blood to find how happy you are. Um, and so how do I define it? I actually have a new definition. And the way I define it is this. I call it want nothing. Plus, do anything equals have everything. That hmm. phrase is happiness to me. Want nothing implies contentment or satisfaction, as you were talking about. Yeah. The do anything is implying freedom, so just having your abilities to choose and do what what you want. We can talk about uh, that in detail. And then that equals happiness or have everything. Want nothing plus do anything equals have everything. Yeah. That's the that's the general high level model I think about, you know, as I, as I talk to my infant son and, and I think about my life, I just think having contentment and freedom really does build out, out the happiness.
1: Yeah. And that's actually a great segue. Cause I think one of the things that you're really strong at and the thing that resonated so well with people when they read your book was how well you're able to take these abstract things and boil them down into a set of principles or a set of really back-of-the-napkin or back-of-the-envelope drawings on a path towards progress in these areas. Um, Do you want to walk us through a couple of the more important principles from your book?
0: Sure, happy to. And by the way, I should say that, you know, in my life, Whenever I've read anything that has been sort of, you know, well-organized, and I'm not saying mine is, uh, I always wonder if, like, the person just naturally, like, whips it out, you know what I mean? And and I want to just point out that, like, it it was through kind of, like, you know, nine months of deep struggle (laughs) that I came to these nine secrets because short stories that my wife told me she was pregnant on the airplane home from our honeymoon. She wasn't feeling well and actually did a pregnancy test in the airplane bathroom. Wow. um, On the the plane. So we landed at home. and. And my thought was, okay, what do you want for your kid? And I thought, well, I want my child to have a happy life. So I ended up writing a 300-page Word document over those nine months, struggling every morning at 5 a.m. for a thousand words before I went to work. And that letter is the happiness equation. So that that book you have in your hands, it is the letter I originally wrote for my son. Wow. And so – you know we talked about one of those nine secrets already that's the concept of being happy first and owning your own happiness through intentional activities such as writing down five gratitudes journaling for 20 minutes at the end of a day about a positive experience um, going for three 20 minute brisk walks a week which has a huge increase on your happiness more so than um, test groups that are on antidepressants even uh, which is kind of an amazing result. And so that's all encapsulated in the first secret of the book, which is called the first thing you must do before you can be happy. But you, you said, Hey, what else you got? And so here's another one I have. <laughs> and this one's called the dream we all have that is completely wrong. And you know what? It's about the concept of retirement and the dream we all have that is completely wrong is retirement. The thesis of that, uh, of that secret is never retire. Yeah. And you know, wh- you know why, uh, Megan, because This is a fake construct. It was actually created in 1889 in Germany by Chancellor Otto von Bismarck when he decreed that anyone aged 65 or over who wanted to, was voluntary, could leave the workforce and be paid some nominal amount of money from the state. But two interesting things about 1889 Germany. One, it had extremely high youth unemployment, which is what was driving him to do this. And two, the average lifespan was 67. And so he created this arbitrary world standard for retirement at 65. It Meanwhile stuck. today, we live way longer and we all want to retire much sooner. Yeah. And so in the book, I actually put forward a model called the Four S's. And those S's are social structure, stimulation, and story. Work gives us the four S's. You you have social connections, the biggest source of happiness of all. You get the structure of having something in your day that Sort of pays for and justifies the the other parts of your day, your family time, your creative time. You got the stimulation of learning new things, and you got the story, being part of something bigger than yourself. If you quit or you want to retire, don't lose the four S's. Do a uh, um, a volunteer job, uh, you know, become a missionary, uh, sign up for something at the church. Like whatever you got to do, keep the four S's because this dream we have of retirement is a scourge. And, you know, Fortune magazine actually says that the two most dangerous years of our lives are the year we're born and the year we retire. Yeah. And so I really put forward this model, this, this angle that's becoming pretty controversial. I have to tell you, I was on a TV show yesterday. I think the studio audience was a hundred percent retirees. So they kind of took exception yeah. to me, but, but I really adamantly feel that retirement is a false dream.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, there aren't a lot of people who think that way. Um, but I, I was talking with Rick Ridgeway of Patagonia uh, a few weeks back. Uh, he's a he's a VP there, and he's um, had a really storied, beautiful career. And I asked him about retirement, and he had a very similar answer. He said, you know, I don't feel like I need to retire because I don't feel like I'm I'm working right now. I feel like I'm living and to retire would be to sort of step back from life. I'm being challenged. I have exactly what you've said. Actually, I have a social community here uh, and I really feel full. And so to retire sort of feels like to step back from something that is actually very meaningful in my life.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely
1: when you think about some of the the principles that you've developed here whether it be you know never retiring or um even just everything um something as simple as going for walks every day are there any that you've had trouble adopting are there any that um that have come really naturally to you
0: sure uh well first of all you, you know i think for anyone who's listening who who's a writer you know that you're all you're always writing partially for yourself so although the Value system that's presented in the happiness equation sounds like I'm living it. I'm struggling and practicing it every day too. And so, number secret number two, for example, is is um, the four simple words that block all criticism. And in this one, I'm talking about valuing intrinsic versus extrinsic motivators. And I, I actually share a pretty personal story about how when my blog, 1000AwesomeThings.com, first took off, I became hooked on the blog stat counter, yeah. which turned into a bestseller list ranking, which turned into how many weeks you could be on the bestseller list. And I kind of drove myself mad being being obsessed with the extrinsic motivators and lost track of my inherent love of writing in the first place. And is it a struggle? Yeah, because you know what? There's the success triangle, Megan, and the success triangle says that on the three points of a triangle you ha- you have either sales success, you know like a commercial hit. Um, you have social success, which means you have critical you know the critical praise you're in the New York Times Book Review or you were nominated for the Man Booker Prize. and you have self success. And self-success is how you feel about your own achievements. I think about that success triangle a lot because the truth of the matter is you can't have all three. So in any new project you take on at work or in your personal life, you have to pick the success you're aiming for. Right. And what do I mean by you can't have all three? Well, take a look at Spotlight. Just won the best picture at the Academy Awards. Yeah, Boston-based. Yeah, it's a great, great movie, Boston-based. boston, boston based. You, can't, you can't have a higher social Um, success, you know, than that, but it's a sales flop. And then, and I love the movie too. I've seen it twice, but my point is like, it doesn't like, it hasn't made as much money as Alvin and the chipmunks, the squeak wall. You (laughs) know what I mean? Um, and so you have to pick what kind of success you want. And that's always a struggle because I keep falling into the trap of thinking I can have it all and you can't, they contradict each other.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. I think you're right. There's, there's a difference between making a living as a writer and making a a life as a writer, and so being able to choose between those two things and know why you're doing it, what your motivation is, is going to shape the way that you pursue that, and you know Absolutely. how you know when yeah. you get there.
0: And and like, what I like to say is that that model applies to every everyone. So if you're in marketing, for example, and and what do you want? Do you want sales success? Do you want you want high shipments? Do you want your product to fly off the shelves? Great. Or do you want social success? Do you want to actually be covered by an industry magazine, be called out by the boss, or nominated for an award at one of those trade conferences? You know, or are you, you know, do you not care about either of those? You're just like, well, I want to learn how to do a great marketing launch. I have my own self desires here. Just pick the one you want. Every aspect of work has those three, those three points and and you really can't have them all.
1: Yeah. And so speaking of work, I think burnout is something that almost everyone experiences at some point in their career. Uh, One of the things that stood out to me about your book was that you outlined this really interesting framework for how to avoid burnout. Uh, You called it the space scribble. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, basically, when we're burning, and I'm burning right now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on I'm on a book launch. I'm on a book tour. What do I mean by burning? I mean I'm thinking a lot and I'm doing a lot. So if you think about a two by two matrix, in the top right quadrant, you have high thinking and high doing. That's called burn. And by the way, the burn is so seductive because it's so productive. You know, there's a famous yeah. poem written by Edna Saint Saint Vincent Millay. In 1918, and she has this famous quote. This is where the the, the sort of uh, cliche first came from. It says, "My candle burns at both ends; it will not last the night. But ah, oh, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light." And isn't it true when you're burning, you are on fire, right? You yeah. we hear people even talking about it, like, "I'm on fire!" Like, yeah. "I'm thinking a lot and I'm doing a lot." Great. And and on the two quad, uh, you know, the top left quadrant and the bottom right quadrant, you've got high thinking more contemplative state, uh, talking to a therapist or a friend, uh, you know, reflection, journaling. And then the other corner, you've got high doing, which means you are at the gym, you're climbing a mountain, you're doing something extremely Mm -hmm. physical, running a marathon, but you're not thinking much. And then in the bottom left quadrant, you've got what I call space. Space is when you are not thinking and you are not doing. And you know what? All the research actually suggests that when we are void of any activity, No thinking and no doing, true space. I'm talking about no emails, no phones, nothing to do. That blank slate actually creates our biggest successes we have more productive energy after we have created space yeah. in our lives And so this isn't about taking your cell phone on vacation it's about not taking your cell phone on vacation mm-hmm. and not having a number where anyone can reach you and the, uh, you know I, I share a couple examples in the happiness equation. one of the most famous ones is you know NASA um, um, after the Challenger disaster, and losing a Mars observer, you know, those things cost a billion dollars—a yeah, no big deal. It's no they, joke. they actually, they actually had the Hubble telescope um, floating around in space with a broken 96-inch mirror. They spent a ton of money for a year trying to figure it out, and it wasn't until one of their employees was on vacation—that's the key part of the story—was on vacation in Germany, where he noticed how the mirror in the shower was attached to the shower wall, and he's like, "Oh, we can do that." Yeah. And that's how they fixed the telescope. Literally a shower thought. It really was a shower thought. It's the classic three Bs of creativity, bed, bathtub, and bus. Nice. You may have heard that before. those That's what creativity researchers say. We get our best ideas. And so the point about creating space is you got to force yourself to do it. Um, I was actually talking to somebody earlier this week and he said um, he, uh, he recommends working uh, seven weeks on and then one week off huh. throughout the entire year. And he said he's got his... Whole company on this model. I believe it's. I can't remember if it's seven and one or six and one. I think it's seven and one. You work seven weeks on and then one week off. And in that one week off, you were, you're you know you're you're unconnected. No one can reach you. You've no one knows where you are. And I laughed when I heard that model. Because I'm a Canadian and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I was in New York when I heard that. And I laughed because I was like, that's the exact amount of vacation they have in Scandinavia. Like if if you do the math, it's like, you know, six, seven weeks a year, right? The rest of
1: the world. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And it's like, that's amazing. But they just, because you, you, you make it part of a company's culture People pop back into the workplace with incredibly high productivity, energy, excitement, and you don't have burnout, which is when you slip off the corner of that matrix we talked about and you go from high thinking, high doing to like, you know, having an anxiety attack.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting that he institutionalized that, that he sort of brought it into the company and made it more of an imperative than just sort of a, you know, think about doing this.
0: Yeah. There's a famous TED talk by a, a, a New York based designer who recommended doing it, I think, you know, every seven years. So, you know, seven years on, one year off. And oh, wow. he, he was advocating that. And then this guy took that model and, you know, made it a little bit more micro by doing it in seven weeks. But, but I, I share that just to illustrate the importance of space, right? And, and actually don't think about space or downtime as, um, oh, you know, you're on vacation more. Think of it as like one of the competitive advantages you have to actually achieving more Because your productivity and your creativity is is so increased after you get back.
1: Can you tell me about the last time you had space? I mean, you you're know, on a book tour. I, yeah,
0: yeah, I know. It's, it's it's practice what you preach, right? Like when I get home from this book tour, my wife is is going to give birth to our second oh child. Oh my gosh! Um, so I'm, and so it's hard even just to be away because she's, you know, getting close to nine, you know, nine months pregnant now, and uh, we already have one baby at home because I told you that I wrote this book yeah, as absolutely. a letter to that child, and so we have a son, and so the way we get space, I'll tell you, we went on a baby moon. Nice. What's, what's the baby? Moon? It means that we, uh, t- you know, gave our son to the in-laws. We gave our cell phones to the in-laws. That's wow. the key part. Yeah. We rented a hotel room three blocks from our house. It's hard
1: for a new parent.
0: It's hard, but you know what? They knew what hotel we were staying, in, so yeah. we we had the peace of mind of knowing. Well, they'd call the hotel if they needed us. And you know what is amazing? Make it? We went to the movies, and we're like, "What's good?" Yeah. <laughs> like, like we didn't have raw tomatoes, right, right? Yeah, exactly. And we're like, Hey, where do you want to go eat? It's a different neighborhood uh, for us in Toronto. So we're like, where do you want to go eat? It's like, I don't know what restaurants busy. Like right, exactly. we, re- <laughs> we literally like, you don't, we don't have Yelp, yeah. it, you know? And it was amazing, but it was also relieving and it felt like we were somewhere else. So
1: I just, I feel like it's pretty powerful that you did that together, that you decided to take the space together and both give up your phones and sort of be, I feel like there might be an added benefit to, to being together in the space
0: yeah absolutely I think you know it depends on on everyone's gut from relationships with Leslie and I you know um, romance is is really important to both of us and trying to make sure that we I sound so funny to talk about it like this but like how do you make sure you always have romance in, in your in your relationship so I'm on book tour now I opened my suitcase when I landed in New York and there was a hidden package and it said um, here's some letters for when you're having these thoughts. And one envelope's called, you know, when you're having a really stressful day. One envelope's called, when you miss me. One envelope's called, when you want to give our son a kiss.
1: Yeah, oh, that's amazing. And,
0: and each envelope, and I haven't opened them all yet, but whenever I'm feeling that, I open it, and she's written, like, a note that's for me to read cool. in each of those instances. So it's like, it, and, like, that creates so much love and energy for me on this trip. And, you know, we're always trying to think about little ideas like that. Another one we have is called Rose, Rose, Thorn, Bud. Have you heard of that before? no. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I'd share earlier in the podcast about the importance of having a, you know, saying five gratitudes a week and how that can really increase your happiness. Well, before Leslie and I turn out the, the light at the end of the night, um, she says a rose from her day, which is one thing she's grateful for. Uh, I say a rose from my day. We do that again. Yeah. We each say a thorn, which is something that, You know, we want to get off our chest or something just annoying that bothered us, but it feels a little good to talk about. And then we say a bud, which means something we're looking forward to. And since it's at the end of the day, it's okay to sort of live not in the present, but in the future for a second because the day is over. Yeah. And and we turn off the light. And literally what we've done is four gratitudes because those are the roses. And remember, I told you that the minimum effective dose is just five a week. So (laughs) we're already like, you know, you're already kind of over over cranking on that. And then you've you've got a thorn off your chest. And as long as the thorn doesn't turn into a 27-minute conversation, then you you end with a bud and it feels great. Yeah. And it's, it's just a little model to end the day that I, that we really enjoy.
1: Well, I think the thing that's cool about the bud too is I think you, you could read your book and come away with uh, a misunderstanding that you should only be thinking about the now and be happy in the now and not think about that next promotion or think about that next um, book that you might be writing. And what I'm hearing you say here is that looking forward is is not the enemy here. It's it's really sort of understanding the context of being happy with where you are um, and then also being optimistic about what's to come.
0: Yeah. and, And I think the paradigm I'm trying to explore in the happiness equation isn't one of forward or backwards. It's one of outside or inside. And so in the book, if you slide open the book jacket, Mm -hmm. Hidden on the actual hardcover, so nobody's going to see this unless they take the jacket off, is the phrase, it is in you. Just those four words, and that theme is hidden throughout the book, but the implication is that happiness is actually inside you and of your own Choice, But it has nothing to do with other people or relationships or circumstances as much as it is you being happy first, you doing it for you, you remembering the lottery, you creating space, you never retiring. You see, all these are individually owned, and that is an underlying theme that I'm trying to communicate, I, I'm partly picturing this as like, I'm dead and gone. You know, my son is struggling or, yeah. or his son or daughter is struggling. They, they pick open this dusty book that grandpa wrote years ago and, and it partly fills them with an energy and an ownership over their happiness. I'm, And that was the vision. I know it sounds silly, but you got to write with a vision. So that was the vision I had while writing the letter, which gave me the energy thrust to actually write it, right? Because otherwise, you know, I'd probably be like saying, oh, I want to write a book one day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So your whole book is about giving advice to other people. Um, but one of your main suggestions towards the end is to ignore advice from others, um, <laughs> in the path to being happy. So, um, it can often lead to some conflict. What tips do you actually have for doing that?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. So there's nine secrets in the book. The very last one says, you know, the single best piece of advice you'll ever take. And, and the, the origin of this, I should tell you, by the way, is I had this boss, I was working at Walmart, who said to me one day, um, hey, Neil, have you heard that 97% of lung cancer patients are smokers? And I was like, no, I haven't heard that, uh, Dave, but I, it doesn't surprise me. And then he's like, yeah, but have you also heard that 97% of smokers never get lung cancer? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you trying to say? He's like, I'm just trying to say that everything can be twisted any way you want to hear it. Just remember that. And he, like, walked away. And he was always, like, doing stuff like that. He's just, like, this (laughs) interesting genius man. But, like, that's my point. I've just given you – with the Book of Awesome, I always loved the compliment that, like – you know it's a self help book it doesn't tell you how to do anything it's like i'm talking about bakery air and popping bubble wrap here you know and this one i was i was sensitive to the fact that here i am giving people pieces of advice and so the very last secret is don't take advice and the way i get to this point is take a look at the most commonly held pieces of advice we have in society they're they're clichés which is interestingly named after the French printing press method of attaching words together into yeah. one slug if they were if they were used more frequently together. Yeah, I love that. Too and bad. so, so I, l- I look up cliches, you know, things that we just all know to be true. I'm like, okay, um, defense wins championships. Right. And then you look up another cliche. It's like the best offense is a good defense mm-hmm. or the best defense is a good offense. You're like, wait a minute. And then it's like, um, well, you get what you pay for or the best things in life for free. You know, and then you hear, like, well, the pen is mightier than the sword. Or is it actions speak louder than words? Um, Birds of a feather flock together. Opposites attract. And I could go on and on and on. And in the book, I put a table of these. And it's like, like, the point is that no advice is true in every situation. When we look for advice, we're usually looking for an alibi. And the point is that... If something resonates with you, if I happen to write something you agreed or disagreed with, great. But it's actually a reflection of you, not of me. You already had that feeling. It was simply confirmed or brought out in a way that felt natural to you. And so what I'm saying, don't take advice. I'm again, trying to imply happiness is inside you. And if anything is resonating with you or any behavior of yours, you want to change after reading this book, I applaud you and my, my comment or my like, tweet reply on Twitter and people tell me, I was like, it's, it's all you baby. Like it, it's you, you came up with that energy. You have the mindset to do that. And I, I congratulate you because you already had it in you. And that's the point with don't take advice.
1: That's awesome. So just trust yourself,
0: trust your gut. If feel it in your bones. And that's by the way, that's extremely hard to do. Yep. Um, so I actually give people three tests in the book to actually find their authentic self. Um, so, I mean, because I, I think, you know, we have this in the zeitgeist, it's like be authentic is really popular right now, you know, be you, Yeah. but we don't actually give people steps on how to do that. We, we think it's obvious, it's not. You actually have to uncover your true self through, you know, what I call the Saturday morning test, which is seeing what you naturally lean towards on a day where you have nothing to do, the bench test, which is about immersing yourself in new situations to test them, which came from my friend Fred who got into every Ivy League school and sat on a bench in the middle of campus for an hour listening to conversations and seeing how he fit into the culture. Yeah. Which is an amazing wow, that's practice really if you, cool. If you're if you're in a job interview you can take the office tour test, if you're buying a house it's called the sidewalk test, you know. And then last of all there's the five people test, which is remembering that you are literally and scientifically the average of the five people around you. So if you want to know what your authentic self is, Take a look at the average of your friend's optimism or ambition or creativity or attractiveness or whatever Mm -hmm. it is Right. because you're the average. And so I give out those three tests because I do believe that listening to your gut is the the dream, but it's not always easy.
1: Well, listen, Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. The book is called The Happiness Equation. Um, It's really good. I highly suggest taking a quick look at it. Uh, and best of luck this year with your second child on the way uh, and all the good fortune that will come.
0: Thank you so much, Meg. I really appreciate being on the show. This has been great. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to our show. As always, we would love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you think by leaving a review on iTunes.